Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. James Schultz, who serves as the Chief Medical Officer for Neighborhood Healthcare. Neighborhood is an organization that has been serving the San Diego and Riverside communities for many decades, serving often the undocumented or folks who literally just walk in the door and may not have their insurance card. They see everybody. He shares a little bit about what a federally qualified healthcare center is, the funding they receive, which often falls short in covering their expenses, but for them, they're fortunate that they can receive some grants and even donations as well. In today's episode, I also asked Dr. Schultz about his servant-like mentality and how he recently had a trip in the Himalayas helping folks over there, but most of his service is actually done right there in the San Diego and Riverside areas. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out other episodes of Pop Elf Podcast by visiting us on our website, popelfpodcast.com, on our YouTube channel, or listen to us wherever you hear your podcasts. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy today's episode. Dr. Schultz, thanks so much for joining the show today. Oh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I know um, you have quite the busy schedule and we're able to squeeze us in. So we really appreciate it. Um, a little bit about how we like to start the shows, Dr. Schultz, is we'd like to get to know you. So um, I know you've been in the healthcare field for a while and do quite a bit, but how about something outside of the workplace? Maybe a hobby, fun fact, something like that. Well, I just got back from the Himalayas where I taught a wilderness medicine course to a bunch of medical students from around the world. And we did some trekking and backpacking and did a couple of uh, uh, impromptu medical clinics in the village we were base camping at. And um, so I like to do that. Wow, that is, I was not expecting that. That is really neat. Um, now, how far are the Himalayas? Is that where Everest is? I'm not too familiar with like hiking, climbing. Is that in the same general area? Uh, it's part of the same mountain range. So I was in an area in India. Usually I go to a place called Jammu, which is sort of on the Tibet-China border of northeast India, far northeast India. Um, this time I went to a little bit farther south in Himachal Pradesh. Okay. Do you speak any of the local uh, dialect or? Uh... Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure there's folks there that could translate. So uh, that's, yep. that's great, man. I have a lot of questions about your travels, but we'll save that for another time. So uh, can you share with us a little bit of your background, um, where you grew up? I know you actually ended up, um, based on my research, um, doing medical school at UCLA, but maybe before that, tell us about your journey um, and how you eventually got into medicine. Uh, well, my my uh, dad worked for IBM, which stands for I've Been Moved. So I've lived all over the country. I was actually born in Massachusetts. Uh, families from upstate New York, Buffalo, Niagara Falls area. So that's where that's where the ancestors are <laughs> landed when they uh, got off the boat from Europe. Um, and I grew up in uh, in a small town called Appalachian, New York, which is kind of near Binghamton. Uh, where it rains every single day and you never see the sun. Uh, during high school, we moved to Tallahassee, Florida. So my father was a middle manager for IBM and he took a position where IBM would loan out their uh, their managers to um, historically black colleges and universities and to teach business. 
And so we ended up in Tallahassee, Florida, where I finished high school, and then out to California, uh, following my dad around with IBM. So I went to college at Cal State Dominguez Hills and medical school at UCLA. Went back to Tallahassee for family medicine residency because they had a 700-bed hospital and only family medicine, so we got to do everything. And their training approach was um, uh, you're going to be practicing in some small town. You're going to be the only doctor there, so you better do everything. And so that was kind of the kind of training I was looking for. Mm -hmm. I was more more of a hands-on person than an academic person. So I went there. But all of our family, my my family, everybody was in California. So we ended up coming back to California. Um, and I went into private practice at Graybill Medical Group in Escondido. I was the fifth doctor there, and we ended up growing to about uh, 25 or so. And then after working there for 13 years, um, kind of felt the tug of a mission calling. And instead of going to Africa, <laughs> uh, walked down the street and went to uh, Escondido Community Clinic at the time, which is now Neighborhood Healthcare. And I've been there 21 years. Wow. You did a really good job kind of wrapping that up in a nice, uh, clear, concise, and compelling message on your journey. So Cal State uh, University Dominguez Hills, uh, for our audience who may not be familiar with like the Dominguez Hills area, that's like the southern part of LA. Carson um, is where that is. And Dr. Schultz, yeah. I've actually been on your, I'm not, a, I was never a student there, but I've been on that campus probably close to a hundred times because wow. my favorite soccer team is the LA Galaxy, which you oh, may yeah. They have the stadium uh, basically kind of on the land there with the college. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even know that uh, university existed to be up front, yeah. uh, the Galaxy. But of course, Cal State, I was very familiar with. So um, so UCLA, uh, tell us what was the inspiration? Uh, well, let me backtrack a little bit. To work in medicine, where, where were you inspired to do that or who inspired you? Well, um, you know, my father uh, worked for a big company and he w always would encourage me not to work for a big company uh, just because of the politics and, and uh, you know, jockeying for a position. And he, he encouraged me to do something like doctor or lawyer or something like that. My father is a lawyer by training, but he worked as a contract negotiator for, um, for IBM. So, um, but I, I really like most kids, wasn't listening to him at all until I got a I got a summer job when I was in uh, Cal State Dominguez. There was a little flyer on the on the wall of the science building hallway looking for research associates uh, to work at Harbor UCLA for the summer as a summer gig. So I applied to that, and it was actually uh, to do dog re uh, dog research, heart dog research. Um, and so I got there. When I got there, there were there were like five of us and they only had four dog research positions. So somehow they took too many. Um, and so I said, well, we have an opening. We can use one of you working in cardiac rehab in the hospital with people instead of dogs. If, and I said, well, I'll do that. You know, I'll, I'd rather do that anyways, rather than research dogs. <laughs> so, so I ended up getting a summer job doing cardiac rehab. So we would take the patients that just had a heart attack or just had open heart surgery and start their rehab process before they left the hospital. So I got to do hands-on, you know, I was helping with treadmills. We, I did end up doing a little bit of uh, human research, helping one of the doctors there with doing the mitral valve research too. Uh, that was really secondary to just helping the patients in the hospital. So I'd go 
get them from their room and bring them to cardiac rehab, hook them up to the monitor to walk them on a treadmill or stationary bike and uh, get, you know, with the cardiology fellows would come in and watch their EKG. So I really liked working with the patients. Um, and so that's really what got me hooked on medicine is I just really enjoyed that experience. All right. Awesome. Very cool. One of my best friends uh, did his residency at Harbor uh, UCLA. So oh, yeah. yeah, very familiar. Um, okay. So you, that was a little background on you. Tell us a little bit about neighborhood. Uh, well, neighborhood healthcare has been around. I think we just had our 50th anniversary last year or two years ago, something like that. Um, COVID kind of puts a damper on the celebration, but uh, uh, so it started in Escondido um, and over time grew to um, expand beyond Escondido. So when I got there, it was 2001, we had five clinics. So we had a couple in Escondido. We had one in, uh, in a trailer in Palma Valley, and we had one in Lakeside and one in El Cajon. And that Lakeside El Cajon actually didn't belong to us. We were just managing them at the time. And we also had one in Temecula, too. So what had happened was there, there was these very small community health centers that were operated by other, uh, other boards. So community health centers all have boards of federally qualified health centers, all have boards of directors more than half of whom have to be our patients. So uh, they're really uh, community-based, community-run, uh, tr really try to uh, customize each clinic to the needs of that particular local community. And so the, the East County one, um, they were struggling financially and they asked Escondido Community Clinic uh, management to come just manage those clinics. And after a while, the, that board said, you know, we don't know. <laughs> We're having trouble running these clinics ourselves. Why don't you guys just take them? And so we just kind of assumed them. And the same thing happened in Temecula. It was a church organization. I think it was Episcopal Services had a very small clinic up there that they were struggling to keep afloat financially. And they asked us to come in and manage it for a while. And, and eventually they just said, why don't you guys just take it? And, and um, so we added, we've added East County and Temecula folks to our board over time. And so now we have something like 16 or 17 clinics, Escondido, East County, Poway, um, uh, Menifee, two in Temecula, one in Riverside, and we have a PACE program in Riverside. And that's where I am now. Uh, and that's a program of all-inclusive care of the elderly. Uh, it's just a program designed to keep people who would otherwise be in the nursing home at home with wraparound services. So, um, and they were getting ready to um, assume the operation of three other clinics in Riverside. So, uh, and then <clears throat> November, we're opening one in San Marcos, one in Hemet, and in January, we're opening one in Coronas. So at that point, we'll be something like 22 or 23 clinics. Yeah, that's great. So you guys are in San Diego County, mm -hmm. Riverside County. Yeah. Um, that's the two counties you're in, right? The two counties, correct. Okay. And you've been there over 20 years. So what's been the, you know, I think in today's world, you know, finding someone who's been at the same employer for 20 years is less and less common. Uh, for you, Dr. Schultz, like what's been the, the key in the work that you do to keep you there? I'm just too lazy to make a change. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, 
um, really, especially when I'm seeing patients, there isn't a single day that goes by that I don't feel like I really made an impact on somebody's life. Um, and I think that's what keeps me coming back. The patients we see are the neediest of our society. So they may or may not have insurance. A lot of them have Medi-Cal. Um, Medi-Cal pays so poorly in this state that, uh, so for, if there's any listeners not from California, that's Medicaid. That's what we call yeah. Medicaid in California. Um, it, it pays so poorly, it's very hard for patients with Medicaid to find a primary care physician or specialty care. Uh, so the community clinics are really set up to take care of that population and people that don't have insurance. Um, so when they come to us, a lot of times they're uh, just from the medical, medic, you know, doctor of medicine point of view, we see diseases we would not see anywhere else. Um, we see exotic diseases for people from other countries. Uh, we see advanced stages of common diseases, which unfortunate for the patients, but intellectually challenging. Um, you never know what's going to walk through the door. Uh, you know, we're just doing primary care, but we see some really, really sick people. Um, so, you know, that part of the, the medicine is really interesting. Um, and then just the impact that we have on people's lives, whether it's helping them get better from a temporary illness or identifying a chronic disease in an early stage and preventing, you know, long-term catastrophe in their lives, um, providing behavioral health. We provide behavioral health, dental, chiropractic, podiatry, acupuncture, social service support, um, you know, getting our social service folks to uh, provide some or behavioral health folks to provide some counseling and maybe prevent a suicide or 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 keep somebody out of depression or during dealing with more serious mental illness um, and our social service folks helping people connect with agencies that can keep them off the street and keep them fed so you know we have i feel like we have a a, a good impact on our communities and on individuals in those communities and that's what that's what keeps me coming back. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm about to jump into, um, I know you do a lot of volunteer work. You mentioned the Himalayas. I'm about to ask a little bit more about that, as well as um, a group called Healthy San Diego that you're a part of. One thing I'm, I'm picking up on is just this sense of, you mentioned the word mission, um, you know, earlier in the conversation. If you mind me asking, you know, where does that come from? Where does that service mentality, is it, uh, is it faith? Is it your parents? Is it like just... Did it just naturally come to you? Uh, I think it's it's pretty faith based. Um, you know, I feel like uh, I've I've been given a lot of blessings and a lot of gifts. Um, I guess if you know negatively put it, privileged. Uh, it's become a pejorative term now, but I have been privileged, and you know, I just I was happy. At, in my, in my private practice with my colleagues and my patients, a lot of my patients were like sort of just like me. Uh, I could relate to them pretty well. Um, and, uh, but I just felt like, you know, they're with what I was given, I needed to give back more. Definitely picking up on that. And I'm really grateful that you, you were willing to share a little bit about that inspiration there. So let's jump into how you're serving besides just in your role, um, leading there at neighborhood healthcare. So, I know you're also part of a group called Healthy San Diego that I've been attending and just kind of learning um, about the Medi-Cal uh, world in San Diego County. Um, tell us about this Healthy San Diego group. 
well, um, this is a new group for me too. I've only been involved with it a couple of years. Uh, and so in San Diego, we have seven different Medicaid health plans. And Healthy San Diego was really established. There's only two counties that are like that in the state. And it's changing. The state is getting rid of those of that model in San Diego and Sacramento counties uh, in the next year or so. But um, when they set that up, there was um, th there's a huge administrative burden uh, with dealing with health plans. So the health plans have regulations passed down by the state that they then pass down to the, the providers of the health care. Uh, including the community clinics. And so, for example, um, community clinics have to go through a uh, uh, facility audit, just to use one example. And so the states obligate the health plans to carry out facilities audits on their on their provider sites. Well, ima imagine going through, a, say, you know, we have 16 clinics, they all have to be looked at by somebody. Uh, and the state has pass that responsibility on to the health plan and we have seven health plans. Okay. So we would have to go through seven audits, but this is Precise. the same exact audit seven times. So oh. one of the things Healthy San Diego is set up to do is to kind of get the health plans and the providers and the county together to say, okay, we're just going to do one facility audit that everybody's going to accept. Um, so that was, that's kind of like one little example, but really Healthy San Diego has, is uh, a forum for the health plans, the county and the the providers and the consumers uh, to uh, talk, to collaborate, to work out problems together. Um, one of the things we we did recently is when the Medi-Cal RX came into play in January. So the state um, turned took away the responsibility for providing prescri prescription drugs to the patients from the health plans, and the state took it on. They contracted out to a contractor, contractor called Magellan, and their transition was didn't go well. And so um, Healthy San Diego was right on it collecting specific incidents that were happening where patients couldn't get their medications that they've been taking for years. Certain things weren't on the formulary that should have been on the formulary. A lot of the pediatric special, specialty drugs weren't even contemplated or listed. And so patients were really in danger of dying without some of their life-saving medicine. And so Healthy San Diego and the Consortium of Community Clinics here in San Diego really kind of hopped on that early and started open the communication line with both Magellan and uh, Department of Healthcare Services at the state uh, to raise awareness that these issues were happening and to kind of bring some accountability to Magellan and the state to fix it fast before somebody died. So, so that that is the more recent example of what Healthy San Diego does. But there's there's quality reports. We have behavioral health group reports. We have senior care reports that report up to this group. So it's kind of an oversight, uh, oversight, uh, but really a, a working group to kind of keep keep <laughs> keep everybody pulling in the same direction for the Medicaid population. Yeah, like you said. <clears throat> It is a special group and there's not a lot like it in the state. Um, you also touched on the uh, how things are changing because San Diego has seven health plans. But uh, for our audience that hasn't heard about the RFP that went out, the request for proposal from the state to the different health plans. So in San Diego, uh, Jim or Dr. Schultz, sorry, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. We have a community health group. We got Molina, Kaiser, United Healthcare, 
Aetna. Oh gosh, I'm missing the other two. Healthnet. Healthnet. And yeah. Molina. Did I say Molina already? Molina. Molina, yeah. So there's seven health plans that audience you guys may have heard of before, but moving into 2024 and beyond, there's can only be maybe two per county. Yeah, two plus Kaiser. Plus Kaiser, yeah. Yeah. So that will change um healthy San Diego, uh, for sure. But I, like I said, I've attended it many times. It's well attended, extremely well organized. I know you're one of the, are you the chair, uh, Dr. Schultz? Yeah, or Co-chair co with Greg Knoll. Yeah, you said it's new to you, but I would not. I mean, you mentioned a couple of years. It seems like you've been there. Uh, it's well organized. I'll just put it that way. So I um, really enjoy being a part of it. And that that group, um, if folks are interested in learning more about that group, you guys can reach out to me as well. Um, I'd be happy to share more um, uh, about how to potentially get plugged in uh, to that group. So. A couple other things about you, Dr. Schultz. We mentioned the service, the mission. So you also do some volunteer teaching locally in San Diego. Tell us about that. I do. I do a couple of things. So um, I'm the medical director for uh, Champions for Health, and what that organization does is it connects patients who don't have insurance that need specialty care with specialists who are willing to volunteer their services from their own office. So we have a, a lot of specialists. I think we have over 700 specialists that that like to give away some of their precious time and skills uh and you know they some of them do overseas work but they can volunteer from their own office and so what champions for health does is it, it gets um it finds out about patients who need these services whether it's a minor surgery or some you know a cognitive specialist input a consultation uh, or a major surgery sometimes uh, and uh, so from the community clinics and other, uh, you know, the FQHCs and other clinics, there are some free, like uh, UCSD has a student-run free clinic, and there's some other free clinics around. So we'll, we take those patients, we make sure there's all of the primary care workup that can be done is done and everything that the specialists are going to need, like if the patient needs an MRI or some certain lab test. So we make sure that all of that's done so when they see the specialist, the specialist is has all the information they need to make a decision about what the patient needs and if it's something that we can arrange for the patient to have done for free. So that's for folks that are uninsured and can't get insurance. So that's that's really fun and rewarding. I, I learned a lot uh, reviewing those cases too. Um, I do some I do teaching. So I teach UC San Diego family medicine residents and UHS a family medicine residents up in Temecula um uh some women's health procedures so i'm a family physician but i do lots of like office procedures and one of the things that i ended up when i got to neighborhood um we were referring women out so women who have abnormal pap smears get a procedure called a colposcopy uh and what that does is you can identify precancerous cervical lesions and and remove them or treat them before they become cancer so, um, or or you identify cancer. Once a year, we actually identify a, a cancer and get that woman treated before it spreads. So, um, so I teach that and other um, outpatient uh, gynecologic procedures to the UCSD family medicine residents, so they can do that when they go into their practice, um, and the UHS residents up in Temecula. Wow. When do you have time to sleep? <laughs> I do know. I can uh, sleep when I'm dead. 
Well said. Well, I do know you're going to be spending some time um, with uh, with some family here in, uh, in a little bit. So I do know you make time for them as well. So you have really done an amazing job going through a lot of what you guys do. Now, one thing you talked about uh, with neighborhood and you touched on it, you mentioned community clinic and then you use the word FQH or the acronym FQHC, Federally Qualified Healthcare Center. For, for our audience, I'm, again, I know you touched on it really briefly. Would you mind maybe again sharing what, when people hear the word federally qualified healthcare center or FQHC, who is that for and how are your bills paid? Um, well, uh, so FQHCs are, have been around since the late 60s. Um, they were really started to, as part of the war on poverty uh, to deal with healthcare issues of the poor. Um, they, we are funded mostly through our patient visits. So we get, um, we, we get some grant funding, uh, federal grant funding. Um, some of the sites when they started, uh, there were, there was, um, an annual federal grant that came along with starting a new site. So some of our sites have a federal grant attached to them and some of our sites don't. We just, some of our sites we just started because the community needed it and the, there wasn't any federal money to fund it, so we but we started it anyway. Um, so we get, but most of it uh, for the Medicaid patients, we get a six dollar amount per visit. Um, so don't, so we could it doesn't matter if we're treating a runny nose or if we decide we're going to do open heart surgery in the office, we would get paid the same amount. It's that's just the way the FQHC payment goes. Wow. Um, there's rules about who, which type of services we can bill for. So a a doctor visit that's face-to-face -face or video or now phone. One of the things that COVID did is allowed us to um, get reimbursed for phone and video visits where we weren't before. Uh, so face-to-face uh, -face or virtual visit with a doctor or with a nurse practitioner, a nurse midwife, a physician assistant, a psychiatrist, a PhD psychologist, a licensed clinical social worker, a dentist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, those can all get paid. A visit with a pharmacist, a nurse, uh, uh, some social workers, depending on their licensing, some of those don't get paid. So um, so we have, have to, you know, have certain type of people to see the patient. Um, we, we get paid more than a private practice would. Oh. Uh, the, the deal there is, uh, there's enhanced reimbursement for the Medicaid patients, but the flip side of that coin is we have to take anybody that walks through our doors. Yeah. So, um, so we can't we can't select patients based on their ability to pay. For the unfunded patients that don't have any insurance, uh, we try to get them connected with some sort of insurance because long term that's the best thing for them. But we have a sliding fee scale, uh, so undocumented folks can't get insurance. Uh, that's changing in California. So as of May, if you're 50 and up or up to age 26 and undocumented, you can get Medicaid. Yeah. So, uh, and that's going to change again, I believe in 2024, where like 26 to 50 will be able to get Medi-Cal. Um, but, uh, up until now or up until recently, uh, you know, we have and still have a lot of undocumented or uninsurable folks. Um, so we have a sliding fee scale for those folks based on their income and family size. And all the clinics um, have different uh, fees, neighborhood fees. Usually most, there's like a 
table that you have to submit to the feds for approval. But most of ours, most of the uh, boxes in the table end up at $35 for a visit. And that includes anything we do in the office. So doctor visit, uh, at labs that we do in the office, um, any procedures, anything like that. Yeah, that's great. And so we we talked we touched on the seven plans in San Diego. So as an example for your clinics that are in San Diego County, do you you can take anybody that walks in the door. So those seven plans would be an example, maybe. Of who yeah, we still so we still have to get contracted with all the health plans. Okay, so there's still a whole contracting process. If if we weren't contracted with one of the plans and the patient walked in our door, we would see them one time. And then we would ask them to, like, if they want to keep seeing us to change their plan uh, to us or tell them they'd have to go somewhere else in the future. So oh. if, they came, if they came back, we would still see them in reality. So yeah. we, we don't really turn anybody away, but we, you know, it's in their best interest because if we send them to, a, you know, if we weren't contracted with their health plan and we try, they need a specialty care and we send them to a specialist we use that's also not contracted with the health plan. They may not be able to get in and so on and so forth. So it's just better to make sure the insurances are all aligned. So we contract with all of the Medi-Cal health plans just to like, because the patients get switched or they'll, you know, they don't understand the paperwork that comes uh, every year with, with the Medi-Cal. And so they'll end up on a different plan. They don't even know it. So we just try to contract with all the plans so that we can keep the continuity for our patients. Got it. So when folks sign up to be a neighborhood patient, are you the health plan? We're not the health plan. Okay. So, so they, when they, they, there's the Medi-Cal patients have the ability to choose their health plan. And, um, but the, the application process is so complicated. It's, it's very difficult for even sophisticated healthcare consumers <laughs> or providers, uh, to, with, to get through the application. So a lot of times it gets ignored. It looks like something from the state and they don't know what it is and they don't do anything. So if the patient doesn't actively pick a plan, they're assigned a plan. There's an auto assignment process that the state has and the state will look. And this auto assignment process is really based on the health plan's quality scores. So the higher the quality scores for the plan, the higher percentage of the patients who don't pick their own health plan that they'll get every year. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Well, Dr. Schultz, thank you so much for joining. Um, we put this together relatively quickly. I know your schedule is super tight. I, I worked hard to get you on and you were uh, gracious to, to spend time with us. If folks want to um, kind of see or learn more about neighborhood is the best way to go onto the website or. Yep. Probably go to the website, uh, nhcare.org. All right, folks, nhcare.org. I did ask you about funding as well. I think there's a, a donate tab. You're a not-for-profit, so uh, do yep. you get support that way as well? We'll take all your money. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And it'll go to good use. So, yeah, we do. We have a fundraiser every year, um, and then we have a, a pool of money that we use. We call for unfunded care. So if, we, if a patient can't afford to get uh, an MRI or an X-ray or some special labs, um, we even have paid for specialty visits, although we don't, with Project Access and Champions for Health, we usually don't have to pay for the specialty visits, but every once in a while we have to. So, um, yeah, so that's where donated money goes to directly toward patient care. Awesome. 
Well, Dr. Schultz, you've been a great guest. Um, and again, folks, if you want to learn more about Neighborhood, that was nhcare.org. Really appreciate you joining the show today, Dr. Schultz. All right. Thank you, Gavin. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.